Welcome to this Easter week edition of the South Dakota Game, Fish, and Parks podcast and blast. Uh, Lots of cool stuff coming up this week and the next coming weeks. But first we got a chat with uh, Northeastern South Dakota fishing guru Mark Ermer. He's kind of the boss man in charge of all those wonderful fisheries up in the Northeast. And we sit down and talk about some cool stuff including one of my favorite topics, bluegills. Um, but I digress. Uh, thanks for Mark being on. to this sunny after a little snowstorm but pre-storm edition of the game fishing parks podcast and blast i'm chris hull i'm with uh northeast south dakota fishing guru and chief mark ermer and we're in the ramcota in watertown today after a commission meeting mark thanks for being here bud thank you thanks for having me it's uh you're you're not the guinea pig we've done three of these and and uh they've all gone really well but uh been looking forward to this one because it's a little closer to home for me and we can talk about some lakes that i actually kind of cut my teeth on so yeah i got to listen to all the rest of them so i got some notes so i know what's gonna happen so i, I got, <laughs> i'm gonna leg up on everybody else <laughs> you got a, got a crib sheet that's awesome i like it uh mark let's just uh ice out are we ice free up up in this neck of the woods now yeah, depend, depends where we're kind of split right here watertown obviously totally off and all the way up to webster we are off um but then when you get north of webster you get up towards roslyn and eden and there's still a lot of ice up there yet so we haven't we're kind of in the middle so southern part of our region yep is wide open and but north, we we're, looks like winter up there yeah. a little bit yet. <laughs> looked like winter here yesterday after a half inch of snow, and it's good, probably going to look like winter next week too. Um, what what did you see from? Let's let's just start with going back on the ice fishing season. Um, seemed like it was pretty good. Access was a little ish, a little bit of an issue, but I mean, typical ice fishing season. For yeah, the most it was part. actually pretty good. I would say, you know, early part of the season. Of course, it was late for us to get ice again. It was almost to Christmas before we could get really out and about, right. and so a little bit late. So we missed a little bit of the early ice window. I would say, but once people got out and fished, you know, January and February, March were pretty pretty darn good this year. We saw a lot of perch. You know, we're riding a little bit of a high of the high water in 19 of course that always means good things for perch and and pike especially so we definitely saw that and it was, it was you know easier to go find we were kind of getting to point when our water stays stable for five or six years it gets harder to find those winter perch bites and and this year we definitely saw the upswing a little bit and it was a little easier to find that still lakes are hit and miss and a lot right. of people don't catch their fish but you know our our good lakes and our big lakes and seemed like there was more lakes that had a bite this year than than not so right. it was a good year any any of those perch bites on some lakes that kind of surprised you like where the heck did that come from 
You know, probably not. I mean, everything that would have had a bite maybe hasn't had a bite for a number of years, but it was back again, so mm -hmm. not so much of a surprise. But, yeah, definitely places that hadn't seen a good bite for a number of years sort of came back to us again this year. So, um, But that was, you know, like I said, kind of expected, but good to see that it is sort of playing out. Sure. High water is always good for those fish, and yeah. we're kind of seeing it again. Yeah. Uh, we talked about it before we started, but uh, spawning, we're getting – cranked up for spawning um you said a couple weeks where where are you spawning this year and and just talk about your spawning yeah. activity and yeah, your spawn so tune and all that stuff so. we thought we'd be going i mean the, the master plan according to a week ago which is it always changes at this time of year but was we were going to start on uh, next monday um that's not going to happen for us we you know, we'll have some open water in more places, maybe even up north. We're going to go into Pius in our neck of the woods and Lynn and Middle Lynn Lakes again. So pretty much the same as last year. Um, it's, a, it's a lower request this year. Last year we got 200 million eggs. We've never done that before. It was a great year, and it was very successful. This year, you know, our, our request is down to the normal level, around, you know, 95 or 100 million. So shouldn't be as hard for us to find that. Um, we've got both the Grand and the Moreau going to be up and running. You mm -hmm. probably talked to them. So we expect good things from there. So, you know, we're probably not as worried about getting, although we thought it was going to be a normal year, that would be middle April to start. Looks like with the weather we're going to get next week, we're going to get pushed back towards later April again. So probably when things get going, when we get open water and that water temperature gets even close, they're going to go really fast again. So I would expect it's not going to be any longer than about a week uh, spawning season up for us this year again. Sure. So. What, like, if, now this is kind of a curveball question, so, and maybe I can't even form it in my brain, but when, when you're looking to spawn and, and conditions get right, how long of a window do you have where you're like, we got to get this done now, otherwise we're going to be seeing, you know. Right. It all depends on a few things. Basically in the spring, the, what we're waiting for and what the fish are waiting for is two really big things. One is photo period. So if the conditions get warm and the water temperatures are, and the, and the second one is water temperature. So, but it plays into how those two things come together. Like if you get 50 degrees super warm spring and like the first of April, it's 50 degree water, I'd say it's too early at that point for the photo period to be right. So you really, you gotta wait late enough and I would say anything after the first week in April, the photo period is right. And then really you're just waiting for that water temperature to start to get near that 50 degree weather. And that's when things are going to go. Sure. So, talk, talk about photo period. Are you talking light length of yeah, days? Yeah, length of day. Thing? So it's not going to change from year to year. It's always sure. going to be pretty much similar in our part of the world. So, yeah, you can always kind of bet on in our part of the world, April 10th, around that time is, you know, that's when the walleyes will be fully mature and ready. And then they're just going to wait for those environmental cues to send them to shore and, and start doing their business. So. And, and, you know, those eggs that go back, and I've argued a hundred times, and I know you have too, about natural reproduction and versus, you know, you go in the middle Lynn Lake and you take all our fish. And, right. and you know, you take all the eggs and, and we, we don't get them back and stuff. But talk about, a little bit about, you know, just natural reproduction up in this neck of the yeah, natural pre reproduction in our waters has always been, I, I, I can't ever say it's not good because there is times when we get really strong naturally produced year classes. 
but it's more when all of the moons aligned. I mean, I think we live in a pretty harsh environment for walleyes in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, our lakes grow walleyes very well, but I think without the stocking program that we have done, we wouldn't have near the walleye because uh, they just na aren't naturally producing lakes. They're not your you know, clear windswept gravel beds like right. Minnesota or Canada natural lakes. Right. We have a lot of mud and we have a lot of wind and muddy and shallow water. And I think a lot of our eggs would be, and they are, a lot of eggs that get deposited in our lakes. The fish certainly spawn and deposit eggs, but I think a lot of them just get suffocated. You know, wind comes up with a bunch of mud and silt, right. that stuff gets covered, those eggs, and they're all going to be dead. So right. it really just takes a really the right conditions, which we don't typically get in the spring very often to pull off good natural reproduction. So we're really heavily reliant on their stocking program in South Dakota. Uh, but again, when we do it and the conditions are right, when we can have really, really good success with their stocking too. So it's not anything we'd ever want to quit. We'd still have some walleye fisheries around certainly, sure. but with the amount of pressure and the, and the harvest we have on our systems, they just wouldn't be able to uh, sustain themselves without some kind of a stocking. Sure. Um, so let's let's talk about, you know, obviously starting to get nice and people are getting jumpy and, and want to get out and, and fish. And as soon as they see that open water, um, what are some of these, what are some of the lakes up here that typically seem to have that bite go first? And then, you know, as it progresses, does it start in the south, you know, the southern end more towards Watertown and then get north and go up towards the hills and everything? Or Yeah, it kind of, you know, just depends where that open water is. And then the other part you mentioned, that flowing water is always a key. So those early wader fishermen are going to key in on those. One, they're open. And two, the reason they're open is probably because there's some flow of water going on. And that's certainly going to attract those fish. So... Yeah, I mean, any time the, the, the wader anglers can get in the water and start fishing now, they will. Yep. It's a great time to be targeting a big walleye, obviously. You know, you're going to catch a lot more males right now because they're first to show up yep. to those spawning reds, move to shore. Definitely going to catch a lot of those. But you're also going to have the opportunity to potentially catch a female that still has the eggs in and have a really, really heavy fish. So right. that's what a lot of people target this time of year with the waders, just uh, – you know, not so much in the boat because it's kind of a tough time of year to be out on the boat with the wind and cold and everything. Yep. But for a couple hours in the evening, you know, you're targeting that early morning and late evening definitely right now and mm -hmm. can be a good strategy for sure. Um, you heard any, you know, bites or anything going on in, in it at all? Uh, not a lot. I think there's, you know, this time of year it is a little bit hit and miss. I think the bite goes on and off based on what the really – keys in on what the weather's doing right. so not that i wouldn't try going now but you gotta expect that days are going to be slow and then the next day might be good right. so um definitely seeing an uptick on the people using those flowing water like in our world it's you know between blue dog and south rush and the culverts <clears throat> between north and south rush have been you know a lot of people fishing and i'm sure, sure. they're catching a lot of fish now so sure. but it'll get better you know i yeah. mean it, it's still the water temperature is in the 30s still so right. you know things are going to get a lot better as, as we approach 50 and 60 degrees. Right. And I, I know I, I even had to catch myself. You were talking about running water. I'm like, where in the world are we running water? And then I think, oh, yeah, we're back up in northeast South Dakota. You don't have to get very far north of Watertown. And it, it's still winter. I mean, yeah. Webster, you guys had winter. Yeah, and we're in a little bit different place. I just drove last week way out to Spearfish and did a little musky stocking trip. But um, on the way out there, I was struck by how... 
dry the state looked. You know, normally you drive out West River and you see those stock dams being full of water and stuff. Man, they're all dry. Yeah. So it was bad. It's bad, bad. And and I would say our little neck of the woods in Northeast South Dakota, it might be a little bit dry. We had a dry summer last right. year, certainly. But the kicker is our water levels didn't really go down that much in a really, really dry year. So I think our, you know, we just got higher ground level water levels and we're seeing, you know, there was Sisseton certainly saw a lot of snow this year and there's a lot of running water and there's even some flooding conditions yep. going on up there this year. So we're, we're just a lot wetter than the rest of the state right now. Yeah. And I, I, I talked to a bunch of my friends and family up in, in Sisseton and, you know, the creeks are running and guys are spearing northerns and they're trying to catch northern. And I'm like, really and then see pictures oh those creeks are really running yeah i think you know that browns valley is a good example they put that floodway in a few years ago Mm -hmm. divert that water around the town and that's that was flowing really high this year which kind of surprised me but that just kind of tells you how much snow they had in that system area so um so we're uh you know the spring springtime you know we're let's let's talk about like may and the one thing in pier, it's so weird to me, you know, I, I think of being from Siston, you know, we're going to fish walleyes in the, from shore, which I love to do. And it, but it's, you talked about, you know, the first couple hours of the morning, the last couple hours of the day, um, that doesn't really happen on the Missouri river. You know, you go out and fish from shore. And if you're in a, even a remotely decent spot, you're going to catch some fish during the day where yeah. it doesn't seem to happen like that up in, up here. Um, but let's talk about, you know, that, so that spring, spring period those fish are up shallow they're pre-spawn spawn and then a little bit of post-spawn mm-hmm. when did that when does that typically those fish start moving out and and how big of a window do you have as like maybe a shore fisherman like me to to catch walleyes and then what fills in for and for you know kind of for how long for you know accessible fish if you don't have them. yeah i would say you know back in the day when people called and asked me about you know i want to come to northeast south dakota i want to target walleyes when should i come you know and and obviously you can come early and do the wader fishing thing very early and maybe ch- targeting a big fish but really most people are looking for just I want to catch as many walleyes as I can. So May is the month. And it used to be my story always used to be like, yep, early May or all of May, that's your window. But I would say I've sort of changed that tune the last couple of years. And and I've seen the better fishing, not that May isn't good, but sometimes the first two weeks of May, especially if it's a cold late year, it's pretty darn tough in May yet early. So I'm leaning a little more towards people telling them go late May and then into the maybe first week, two weeks of June is probably the best walleye catching window in our lakes where, like you said, if you just go on any lake and you do about the right thing, whether you're dragging a minnow around or jigging a minnow or even, you know, maybe pulling a spinner even at that Mm -hmm. point, that's the window for walleye catching and and all day long probably. You know, that's just a good time of year to come. Now once, you know, later on as those fish, like you said, start moving into out of that, you know, less than 10 feet of water and they're moving into 15 feet of water, starting to transition more into that summer pattern people will switch to the spinners and the worms and you know maybe deep fish in that deeper water and that that'll be into you know getting closer to the end of june and july certainly so. sure um <clears throat> let's just highlight a few lakes you know obviously you've got got the ones that everybody knows about you know bitter and, and wabe what especially um what are those fisheries what are they looking like you know through the winter and what are you seeing are you are you doing any test netting are you doing any of that stuff what are you kind of seeing on 
like some of those really popular roommates? Yeah, so anytime somebody asks me this question, they do it all the time. You know, sure. the first thing I do and what I would recommend every angler do, and I did it before I came to this thing, obviously, but on our website, we've got this thing called on our, uh, when you click on surveys and maps of our area, you can click Northeast South Dakota and then, or, or we have them for any part of the state, but click on the net catch graphs. And they're simple bar graphs that everyone can mm -hmm. understand. It lists every single lake that we sampled last year and it breaks it down by every species. And then each bar is broken down into sizes of fish. So you know how many 15 inches we got, you know how many 20 inches we got. So you can, as an angler, that's like all the information you need. You got every single lake compared to each other. You got what size of fish you're looking for. So that's what I do. And, and I, every time they talk, and, it, and it's the same list, you know, bitter, wabe, looking really good. Like I said, 2019 high water. We've seen good, both success from our stocking and probably some natural reproduction in those lakes. So. Sure. Those are big, good, popular lakes are doing just fine, and we've certainly added some other lakes because uh, of that water that are doing really good to, you know, maybe some of the lesser known lakes like uh, dry number one. You know, everyone knows about dry number two, but dry number one's had a ton of perch and walleyes in it lately, so it's really good. You know, Pius Lake was a huge surprise to yeah. us last year. It was great, great shape, and it continues to be that way. Um, Goose Lake down by Watertown's phenomenal. Three Buck Lake is in kind of the middle of nowhere, Hamlin County. Really a lot of nice walleyes in it. So, yeah, I mean, I think any place that you've known that are to be walleyes over the last 15 years, all great places to go right now. Or, sure. Like I said, we're, we're in a good spot up here right now. It's funny you mentioned our, our surveys and all that, all the resources we have. I know there's a bunch of buddies of mine that listen to this, and they're going to wince as soon yeah. as you said it. Yeah. Those guys are fanatics about that. If we talk about going fishing anywhere around Pier, they are, you know, well, you know, if we're going to do that, we have to fish for X, Y, and Z because, uh, you know, look at the graphs and look at the charts. Yeah. And, it, I mean, and, and so. I'm not saying that, and I do no. this all the time, I tell people where to go fishing, yeah. and it's based on what we saw on the net. Right. Well, the bottom line is it doesn't always equate into the best right. fishing because, right. I mean, sometimes those fish – very high abundance. There's tons of forage. They're growing fast. They're really hard to catch. Right. So sometimes I send people to a lake that has right. a really high number, right. and they don't catch anything. Right. And then there's some sleeper lake that didn't show very well that they're, right. you know, the forage is in the right place. And they're hungry right. and they're biting. So you still got to do your yeah. research as an angler and find out where the hot bite might be. But that's just a good starting right. point. Yeah, it's doing your homework. But yeah, I've got some some buddies that are really going to wince that we're talking about this yeah. at all, and that's awesome. So. Um, let's let's talk about some like maybe some underutilized species you know i know you know when i was a kid growing up here we called them silver bass and you know lake travers like some of my best fishing memories were sitting with my grandpa in his little lund you know little 14 foot lund in his nine horse motor and our, the front bow mincota trolling motor and he had a color selector and we had a depth finder and you know he loved to troll uh little joe spinners with the banana scented Mr. Twisters, when they first came out, that was the only <laughs> smell that, that they had. We, uh -huh. They smelled like bananas. And we just, I, I just catching, you know, we weren't walleye fishing, you know, we, you'd catch a few, but we were just fishing. Mm -hmm. So, and, and really try, I really try to push that one with everything that I do when I'm talking to folks about fishing. So talk about maybe some underutilized species and, and even some lakes or something that people might not even think about. Yeah, well, first on your story, the reason why you remember that back in the day is because you caught something. Right. So that's the key, I think. And I think we get a lot of folks that just want to catch one thing, and that's it's a bad day if they don't catch any right. that fish. 
and we've got a ton of fish in the lake and I just, I mean, I'm always reminding people, you know what? The whole point of going out there fishing right. is catching something, especially for getting somebody into the sport, you right. know? So absolutely, white bass are great species because they're aggressive, relatively easy to catch. If you catch them at the right time, right place, that can be phenomenal, like every single catch, yep. that cast type thing. Yep. That's the days people remember, you know, and that's really cool. And there definitely are tons of opportunities for that. And there's just a lot of people that won't target, you know, they won't go after that, you know. But if you're having a slow day on walleye sometime, switch it up, go change up and try to do that instead. And you'll have a great day. So, yeah, we got our big waters are where our white bass are. You know, like you said, the, tra- the, the border waters, Traverse, Big Stone, always been like good white bass lakes. But we got Ponset, Compesca, you know, Wabay, Bitter is a big white bass lake now. And that's, you know, those have changed over the years. You know, we didn't used to have white bass and bitter, and now there's a lot. So, I mean, I, I, they just, we've never stocked white bass in anywhere. They right. just get there. You know, they move with water, certainly. Probably there's people moving around to some extent, but they do well when they get into a place, and I think they persist. So, but, yeah, what a great species that's underutilized, certainly. Now, we get a lot more folks from outside of our area. You know, we get pretty busy at, at times. The Grenville grade, when they're yeah. biting on the Grenville grade, we can have three, 400 people, a lot of them from Minneapolis, over there catching right. white bass because it's awesome. So we are attracting some of that in our world, and, and it's good to see that there's people taking advantage of that. Right. You know, another thing, it, I, I moved to Pier. I'd never really fished bluegills other than, you know, cabin, you know, cabin fishing in Minnesota and stuff. Um, and occasionally we'd go out to enemy swim and fish the rock pile and you'd catch some bluegills through the ice. Mm-hmm. And I moved out to pier and, and bluegills were super accessible to me and, and I didn't really know anybody. So that's started catching them, started gearing for them, you know, super lightweight and figuring out my own way to catch them. And then as I come back home, you know, it seems like largemouth, certainly smallmouth, but bluegills have, have expanded up here, and they're, some, some of these lakes kick out big, big bluegills. Yeah, we are seeing that. And I don't, you know, people will say it uh, certainly could be part of global warming, or there's a change in our lakes. You know, mm-hmm. people used to say, you know, lakes you see down in Kansas and, and Nebraska, we're seeing our lakes sort of being a little more like that. And, you know, a place like Clear Lake and... I can think of a whole bunch that used to be just these windswept, you know, very simple fish communities, walleye, pike, and perch, and that's it, mm-hmm. and very green in the summer, algae-dominated systems. Well, these, these lakes all naturally on their own as part of the lake process, they're switching to this clear water state. And that's a good thing for, for fish because it means instead of the algae dominating and there's no light penetration in those lakes, now these lakes are generally clear in the spring and there's plenty of nutrients still. We have very, very productive. Well, something's going to grow. And what's growing in those lakes now is rooted aquatic plants. Well, rooted aquatic plants is like the food base, you know. So those, right. And that's habitat for fish to escape predation. And so that's really good for especially fish that live in the nearshore area like bluegills, bass. So we're certainly seeing a switch in the fish community in a lot of our lakes, and it's all related to what kind of habitat's available there now. So yeah, we're definitely seeing bluegills come on where we, we had a very few number of lakes, you know, the Cochrane, the Enemy Swim, a couple of lakes that really of all the lakes that were clear enough had the right habitat for bluegills in the past. Well, we're seeing more and more that are fitting that type of habitat type, and we're definitely seeing a shift in the fish community. Yeah, and I remember when it happened, I was actually up, I don't know, we were doing something with my dad's house or something, and, and it was when I was doing a lot of those 20-minute anglers, and I stopped at a, at a spot, and, you know, 
in late May, early June, where you could go and cast on, on South Buffalo and, and catch just a ton of pike, and they're usually not very big, but then you occasionally pick off a walleye, but you, you know, a ton of pike. And I remember like my first cast, I was like, oh, yep, and I had the camera on, and I reeled it I in, and it was that. a nine-inch bluegill, and <laughs> I went, oh. Yeah. So I immediately run to the car and switch gear, and I was kind of like, okay, I knew there were bluegills in here because my buddies had said they'd caught some through the ice, but obviously I was in a spot where they were bedding and getting ready to spawn, and it, and it was just for that week that I was home, it was just jaw-dropping, you know, the crappies that were there and the bluegills that were there. And now, like, this last winter I came home and, and we were fishing on buffalo on a, on a spot that's historically just probably the best walleye spot on the lake. And South Buffalo is a big lake, and we get there, and we're kind of getting ready and marking fish and, and not catching them. And what the heck? And I switched to a like a little jig and a waxworm, and we just started catching these bluegills on this walleye spot. Mm-hmm. And it was like, what? You know, this is awesome because I love them. And then you know, I'm catching bluegills, and my buddy right next to me catches a six pound walleye out of a hole a foot and a half away. You know? Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, to me, it's for the better. But you know, I think it's. I'm not going to say it's unknown because we have a cabin on clear and it's been phenomenal for three or four years. But the, you know, the, the fishing traffic on, on some of these lakes that, and guys that are targeting oh, yeah. and guides that are targeting right. Yeah. It, it's yeah, not a secret. And there, and we see when we have, like I said, we had very limited bluegill population right. for a lot of years. And whenever one of those got a bite, oh man, did people yeah. show up. Yep. So they're still a little bit limited. They're becoming less limited. We have more lakes, mm-hmm. more options. But when a bluegill bite goes on, man, we still attract anglers from all over the place. That's very popular. Yeah. And we're definitely seeing that uptick in, in pressure on those fish. So, I mean, it's led us to, we're, we're looking at that a little bit. We're researching bluegills right mm-hmm. now. We got it going on at Enemy and Clear and Pickerel and South Buffalo over the next, you know, 10 years. and. We're going to take a good look at that. In Minnesota, obviously, if you know, they put a you know five fish per day or a ten fish per day regulation on them, trying to sort of not maintain, or really just to maintain the population, not see the big ups and downs right. based on heavy harvest, especially big bluegills. You know, I mean, I, we do the best we can to try to tell people those big males are so important in the just the community of bluegills and yep. how they spawn and how they guard nest big ones are really important and when those are the ones that leave it can do bad things for the you know the population they could start maturing really early in life they don't put effort towards growth anymore sure and then you get out of this little stunted population that nobody's interested in so the big bluegills especially big male bluegills those are the big important ones and we're going to try to at least look at a way to try to protect these lakes and try to just if nothing else, maintain a nice quality population of bluegills for the future. So. And, yeah, and believe me, I, you know, having a cabin, my my aunt and uncle have a cabin on clear, and that first year where it got really good, and I was there, and uh, it was like, okay, we can't keep these. You know, like we're trying to struggling to keep fish small enough to keep, and right. well, why can't we keep those? Right. And trying to explain it, and they're just looking at me like you are so full of it. It's like, no, 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 no. We're not keeping a ten-inch bluegill. You know, yeah. we got to keep seven or eight-inch bluegills. Right. Have it, and you know, two, three years ago, that was even hard to do at that. You know, for a couple weeks stretch, you weren't catching. That's seven, all you're catching. Seven, yeah. eight-inch bluegill. You were catching nine and ten-inch bluegills, and everybody right. got spoiled. So yeah, no, it, they're they're a cool fish, and it, I mean, it's cool to see them you know really increasing in our lakes and it's definitely generate a lot of interest but there's also a lot of interest on the anglers themselves that are seeing this this pressure and they're saying hey 
you know, let's take a look and see if we can do something to maintain right. you know, what we have. So we'll see. We'll be done with that research. We're about four years into it now, and we, you know, any good research project takes time, and so we're a good three or four years from really crunching the data and, and modeling what you know changes and with what regulation we sure. might try. But uh, I would expect we'll at least take a good hard look at it in the next three to four years. And that, that research is mainly tagging studies, right? Yep, so we tag them to do a population estimate. So we want to know how many six-inch bluegills are in the lake. And then we'll uh, then with the tags, it allows us to get something we didn't normally have is the exploitation rate, which is how many are being harvested, what percentage of the fish over six are being harvested every year. Sure. And those are two big, important parts of the puzzle. You know, you need to know. And then if you track those things through time, and then obviously following growth and age, all the stuff we had mm -hmm. in the past too, but... Those are big, important things that we really got to focus a lot of effort to do. Population estimates hard. You got to tag a lot of fish. You got to catch them again and get a percentage of tagged untagged. And so it's it's a lot of work and something we don't normally do. But for a research deal like this, it's it's really key and it's important to have. You talked about something that kind of I was hadn't thought about it. You know, like these lakes naturally changing, and you just kind of assume well there was other factors, but going into that is that is that do you think that's why we've seen kind of a expansion of of smallmouth fishing and big smallmouths in the in these lakes up here where though that was you know clear was about the only clear yeah. and pickerel and and roy to a certain extent right the, our bass lakes you know they we started those back in the 80s you know late 80s mid 80s and they've done well ever since we started those so mm -hmm. i mean we do have those old those ones that have been there, the Roy, the Clear, the Enemy Swim, they've just been there all along. But we've definitely seen that expansion, like the white bass, sometimes places we certainly didn't put them even, but they're they're sure. showing up. All these lakes, you know, they were, a lot of these new lakes, they just started in 93. They weren't lakes before yeah, that. Yeah. So when we started, it was what we stocked, bass, bluegill, and or bass, perch or i'm sorry walleye perch and pike that was what they were right. now they're 20 years into being a lake now and they've got more species added they're getting more complex fish communities so they're not what they used to be as far as perch and walleye but they're th that that energy spread out over more species and more dynamics and more interrelations between the species so they're just it's harder but we're definitely seeing that. So there's, yeah, there's smallmouth bass and a lot of wabays, a pretty good smallmouth bass lake, an up-and-comer for sure. <coughs> right. But we're seeing more and more lakes that have that species, and, and they're definitely expanding along. They're, they're one of those, you know, shoreline-type species. Yep. So they're going to do well with this trend of where our lakes are going, likely. Sure. What, um, you know, let's shift gears a little bit and... Um, maybe talk about, you know, up, up here, and we talked about it at the commission meeting, you know, some of the AIS stuff that's going on up in yeah. this country and, and how that affects lakes and, and just let's just talk about we're talking yeah. zebra mussels. So here. a lot of things we don't know yet. I mean, I, I mean we know certain things are, are moving and we're likely we're going to see more and more probably. So we better start thinking about how we're going to deal with them or what's going to be like right. with them. The unknown is, well, we've been lucky for many, many years around here. We've had tons of anglers coming here from all parts of the world, so it's actually really surprising we haven't had more. Say that all but the time. we are starting to see more. You know, obviously we've got three lakes now with zebra mussels in the last couple of years. Um, and then, you know, what's next? We, we don't really have much. We have curly leaf pondweed, 
but we haven't really seen the, the one I'm really worried about is Eurasian modern milfoil would grow all summer in 15 feet of water right to the top. Man, that would make most of our lakes look like a golf course, which would not be good. Right. So certainly a big concern and certainly something we want to keep out of our lakes. And we're trying to do our best, the best way for us to do that. We have so many people going to so many lakes around here. Unless you change those anglers' behavior and try to get them to do the right thing, I mean, that's where we really feel like our best bang for the buck is going to be, and that's why we're doing education, and we're trying to just change anglers, not only anglers. We do actually do a pretty good job with anglers. We're trying to, you know, get to all boaters. Yep. So there's just a lot of anybody that uses lakes with a boat or a jet ski or anything, we just need to get them to start doing the right thing when it comes to when they leave that lake, understand that. And it's pretty simple. The message is clean, drain, dry. Right. If you do clean, drain, dry, and that's just pull your plugs, make sure there's no water sitting anywhere, make sure there's no weeds hanging on anything, you've done everything you can and you're doing the right thing. So it's really not that hard. It's just a matter of, and we've had to do it ourselves. Like now we do it. Every time we leave a boat, we got to be in the back. We got to lower the motor, get all the water out of the lower yep. unit. We're looking for weeds. We're pulling it off. Once you get in the habit, and we certainly are, we've done enough, and I think it won't take very long from me as an angler and my personal boat, it took me a little longer probably to get there too because I just don't fish that much. But after you've done it, it just yep. becomes pretty habit-forming that at the end of the day, you just lower that motor once you get it back up on the shore, let the water out. While you're doing that, you're picking stuff off your trailer, and you're leaving the thing clean, drain, dry. And if everybody does that, we'll be in good shape. Yeah, so. it, it's hard. You know, you talk about, it, and I've been, you know, doing communications and stuff on AIS probably God, almost since I've been here, so 16 years, but really stressing, you know, a lot of the emails, and people who listen to this know, and I've taken admission to it, when you're getting beat over the head with a issue from Game Fishing Parks from emails, it's me. Um, you know, and, and a lot of that stuff, and I had a guy a couple of weeks ago go, you know, it, it's... We get these messages, but it isn't always, you know, we don't pay attention to them because it isn't sexy. It isn't Mark Irmer spawning a, you know, that picture I've right. got of you of a 12-pound sure. walleye spawning yeah. a walleye. It's like, you just beat us over the heads with it. And I finally, you know, we submit and we reach out and now we're now we're doing these things. And and I think we've done a good job with that with the anglers because that's our, that's our wheelhouse, right? And, right? and I can reach out to them because we have their contact information because they want to know if they got a deer tag or not. Right, yep. But the, the rec motor thing was really different too and we've had to really kind of reach out to the jet ski jet skiers and the pontooners and the wakeboarders and the surf you know surfboarders yeah. and stuff and that's been a tougher nut to crack but it, it seems like the people that I have talked to I've got a cousin who's they have a wakeboard boat and it was one time I sat down and said this is got you know when you pull this out at the end of the summer you know you have to do this because you can't take that back to Minnesota, and if you're in Minnesota, you have to drain that before you put it in this lake, you know. Mm -hmm. And they seem to get it because they really do care, you know, obviously. And, and yeah. But it, that's been a different – you have to talk to them differently. You approach them differently kind of in general, you know. Right. But it, it's it's interesting, and, and we talk about zebra mussels, you know, but the, the Eurasian milfoil thing is, is every bit as big of a deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have shallow lakes, so I mean, I I, I know what it looks like. I back in the, I grew up in the Chicagoland area, and we had little shallow lakes in these little forest preserve districts that everyone liked to, you know, 
rent a paddle boat on and fish on right. and everybody did everything on them well when eurasian water milfoil got in those and they were like 15 feet maybe max depth all that cheese that stuff grows to the surface comes out of the surface and it looks like these little green shoots right. over the whole lake all summer long i mean you just there's no boating in a place like that anymore so i do worry you know our lakes are shallow and they could probably grow up to the surface in almost the entire lake right man that would really Choke that would be bad out. yeah i mean that fish would survive because it's probably a lot of habitat but then when all that stuff dies at once it can lead to low oxygen and, and summer kills so sure. yeah too much of a good thing and that that would be certainly too much uh can lead to problems so sure. we don't want it and we're like I said we're doing pretty good but we understand there's tons of this stuff moving around the world and and we got to do the best we can to get get everybody doing the right thing and i think we're on our way but it's a challenge i mean it it's it only takes one time somebody's right. slipping up and this thing these things show up right. so it is tough um so now i'll shift back this, this is my fault i kind of messed this up but let's shift back to like summertime fishing patterns, you know, you're thinking July and in August, even late June, those fish are slid are slid out. They're on those outsides of those weed beds. They're in yeah. 15 feet of water, the, about the deepest water right. you can find out in these lakes. There is, and and it's kind of interesting. I'd say, especially for walleyes. I mean, if you're got to catch a walleye, that's where you're gonna have to go to get them, or that's where most people go. I would also say, though, that there's certainly a community of fish out there um, in that depth, you know, deeper water during that time of year, and you catch them there. But I would also say that if you're on one of these lakes that have gone through this transition and you see a very extensive weed line around the edge of that lake, and it's going to be less than 10 feet of water probably, mm -hmm. I would say if you figure out how to fish those weed edges and those pockets in there, you might actually find the bigger walleyes. Um, we've definitely seen it in our sampling events. When we set a gillnet out in that deep water, we'll catch the meat and potatoes fish, the, especially the younger, you know, more aggressive fish. But when we put a frame net in those weeds on the shoreline, if we do for whatever reason on the survey, we'll get the big walleyes that we don't see in our gillnets on the shoreline. So sure. I think, you know, yes, definitely moving out to deep water, that's what most walleyes do. But I also think there's a component of walleyes that are gonna start living in those weeds and they just, cause that's where the food's at and there's cover in there. They wanna stay in the shade, right. you know, that's why they go deep water. So I think uh, that's probably a resource that people don't fish enough that, uh, and they might find a totally different class of fish in that yep. shoreline area. It, do you think, and do you hear people, you know, with, and this is way off topic from that I've done with anybody, any of the other guys, but talking about electronics and, and you know, side scan and, and you know, the Garmin, the, the real directional, and you can go along those weed lines, and, and I, I know guys that do it, and they find fish in those pockets, and they yeah. pitch to them, pitch to them until they catch them. Uh -huh. um, are you, do you see much of that around here? Do you guys talk about it? But I, I know there, it's changed the way they're fishing because you're talking about catching different year classes in those weed beds. Right. Yeah, I think it certainly will. We're just seeing the, the, at the advent of the panoptics and all those folks, right. that those tools that people are using now. And, and there's no doubt about it. Anybody that you've talked to that really knows how to use that stuff, I mean, they almost to the point where they say, man, this is like too good. You know, yeah. I mean, you, we're going to have to do something. And I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll probably never do anything about it. I mean, it might result in some sort of change in maybe daily limits or something. Sure. It's hard to regulate just one piece of equipment because right. there's just always going to be something Next new. Thing, it's, right. it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there's certainly the conversation that goes on, but 
Yeah, you're right. As those tools develop, people are going to find ways to look in those weeds and fish places they didn't before, and it's going to result in different different ways of going about fish, and, and they'll probably be, you know, more successful in doing different things. So. Sure. What's, um, you know, that fall, fall, let's go into the fall, and, and obviously we're talking walleyes. Do you still see that kind of shift where those fish are coming back up shallow, Look, you know, the weeds are starting to die. Those fish are yeah. up shallow. They're just trying to put their feed bag on. Yeah, it's a great part. time of year. And most people don't fish walleyes in the fall. I mean, the kicker is in South Dakota, once pheasant season starts and right. duck season starts, you got to make choices. And yeah. that's what I realized. I moved to South Dakota because of the hunting and fishing. Well, as soon as I got here, I decided, oh, I got to prioritize. I can't yeah. do it all. I can't go out and goose hunt in the morning and then deer hunt in the day and then go take the dog and try to get a pheasant. Right. Even though all those things are available to me, right. there's just not enough hours in the day. And what gets dropped a lot of times, because you've been fishing all spring long, yeah. all fall, all summer long. You've had a good year. You've, right. You're okay with it. You're on to, you want to do different things. Well, I tell you what, the people that don't hunt, you know, are the, just the anglers, they have it to themselves in the fall, and they have it really, really good. Yep. I mean, yeah, you're getting colder temperatures and windy. It can be nasty, but you hit the right time, right place, right day. And like you said, the fish are feeding, yeah. and they're heavy, and they're happy to bite, and it can be phenomenal. Yeah. So, I mean... I always tell people that. Well, come when no one else is fishing. Come in September. It's yeah. a great time yep. to fish, or October, There's and sometimes even around. November, you know. Right. But, you know, like I said, not many people do it, so you can have it yourself. But it, it's a great, great time to fish, certainly. Yeah. We, uh, and I've talked about this before, when we always had, when we got all these new waters, and, and you know, it started, like, for us with Cattail Kettle, and not so much Wabe and, and Bitter, because, you know, it wasn't quite as close, but, like, Cattail Kettle really prompted some buddies and I to go, okay, we're going to get up in the morning, we're going to shoot a limit of geese, we're going to shoot a limit of mallards, we're going to go pheasant hunting and shoot a limit of pheasants, and then we're going to go catch a limit of walleyes and, you know, as many big perch as we can, and we're, we, we would call it the Northeast Slam. And it took <laughs> us like three years to do it, but we finally did it. And my dad had to come and get us from the Grenville Bar because we were obviously celebrating. <laughs> and my dad, who, who's a fourth-generation system guy, could not believe it. Yeah. You know, because he was even one of those, you know, we had dogs and we trained dogs. By God, you know, in the fall you hunted. Yeah. We've been fishing all summer long. Right. But it, it, you realize quickly, like you said, you go out there and you're on spots that, you know, a month ago would have had 20 boats in front yeah. of it. And now all of a sudden you're looking around and you're the only boat on right. the lake. Boat ramps are empty, right. in fact. You know, I, I use those boat ramps to go do my deer hunting. And most of the time I'm the only boat at those boat ramps. Right. So, yeah, it can be really, really cool. I'm going to shift a couple gears and then we're going to let you go. Um, I appreciate it. But what did you see for winter kill up, up in this country? Have you seen anything yet? No, we, you know, we always put the call out to folks this right. time of year as the ice is going out. This is when we really know. We used to do DO checks and stuff. It wasn't very, we didn't, it didn't give us much valuable information. You, you tried to predict what was going to kill and it didn't. And then other places did. So we don't do DO checks anymore. So we just put the call out when the ice goes out. Hey, let us know if you're seeing right. a bunch of dead fish. We'll come in and check it and see where we're at. Right. And this year we've seen nothing up here. So didn't expect much. We didn't sure. have high levels of snow on the ice for long periods of time. So um, sunlight was penetrating through the ice most of the winter. So, yeah, we didn't, we didn't have any. Didn't expect much and really are hearing yeah. very little. And I, di I didn't see anything uh, last year, and I didn't talk to you about it, but didn't see anything as, like, weird summer kills of anything really either no, anything notable anyway no not really i mean we, 
we thought maybe we could start getting there with as dry as we were last summer. We, we expected a lot of our lakes would drop two feet, maybe three feet. Yeah. And we certainly saw that on some of our western lakes, you know, Roscoe area, things like that. But over here in the northeast, even though we really didn't get any rain, it was dry, dry, dry. I just think things have changed enough in our landscape that that water table's high. You know, there is different, you know, there's drain tile happening where it didn't. So our big lakes seem to be very resilient to going down, even in an extremely dry weather pattern. So that's what surprised me the most about last year. I would have predicted, I looked at the lake elevations in the fall every year Mm -hmm. when they measure them. And I looked at a bunch of our lakes where I predicted it was going to be two feet plus down. And all I saw was about six, eight inches in most of our lakes for a drop. And after the summer we had, that was really somewhat alarming to me. Because if we ever have normal moisture again or even a bad winter again, I'm afraid where our water is is really going to keep going up, which right. is not necessarily a good thing. I mean, we're, we're even flooding roads and accesses and all. And farmland and private land, you know, it's, yep. it's just not great. It's good for fishing, obviously, but, man, I'd like to see things uh, not go up anymore. We're pretty hot. We're high enough already. Yeah, so. yeah and I think, you know, the folks up in, up in Sistan are, are, would say we, we had plenty this winter, but yeah. it's just yeah. that weird little little spot. Um, any sleeper lakes or any, anything that jump out at you or you're like, well, oh, this, this could be? Not really. Maybe a little bit back towards the, the just the the underutilized fish. Sure, so right. uh, you know one is and that's new to uh, new to everybody. Lake sturgeon. Right. <laughs> what the hell? I mean, I, yeah. We, we started stocking lake sturgeon in four, 2014 in Big Stone Lake, trying to reintroduce that population. It, it was extirpated back in the 40s, and they're really doing great. And and they're to the point now where I'm actually telling people to go try it. Because I think, and we see lots of pictures of people holding yeah. these, you know, we'll go out with worms, you know, yeah. on the bottom right. and fish them like a bullhead, you yep. know, and you might catch this huge fish. And now they're, you know, 40 plus inches in length and, you know, 15 pounds maybe. So yeah, really cool. Years, eight years. In the yeah. Day. Yeah, that is cool. So that's a new, that's just something else, something cool to go try, you know, right. off the radar, certainly. But uh, is that in Big Stone? They put them in Traverse too? Not in Traverse, no, just Big no, Stone. Stone. Yeah. So that, that'll just, we'll see how that How plays. many years but did you stock those? Fish? We're going to, the plan is to stock them for 20 years to try to, and then hopefully they would be to the point where they'd find places they could go naturally produce and they'd be self-sustaining. I mean, that's the sure. goal. Um, but, uh, you know, just eight years into the program, survival looks really good. Every time we put gill nets out in the lake, we're catching good numbers of them. Cool. So it looks like they're, and they're growing well. So, man, it, it just looks phenomenal. So yeah. it looks like we're going to have a real, you know, bona fide population of, you know, when they get mature, they're going to be 50, 60 inches right. long, you know, and big, big fish. So yeah. it's going to be cool. So that's just kind of the new thing. And then other than that, just like you said, I mean, we got tons of northern pike around the countryside right now because of 2019 high mm-hmm. water. So there's a lot of resources out there for pike and, you know, white bass and everything's kind of good. Of course, walleyes are great and come sure. certainly come, but there's a lot of other stuff to be had too now. Yeah. Being up here this time of the year and, uh, you know, I cut my teeth. We, we fished northerns with dead baits a lot. There was a group of buddies and I, and we would go out for weekends and, it really makes me want to not go home, <laughs> but I'm going to try it on Oahu this weekend if it isn't blowing too much. But uh, before you leave, you brought up the musky stocking. Uh, let's just talk about that just a little bit. Yeah, so a, neat, a really unique opportunity. Um, we got a call about a couple months ago from the state of Utah, and they had a broodstock musky population, pure strain muskies, 
that they were just going to be disposing of. That I didn't know why they didn't want it for their lakes. I find out, well, they raise tiger muskies. So they did not want any pure strain sure. muskies in any of the lakes, so they really didn't want to stock them. So they were just asking, anybody want to take these? They're, they're, the, the unique part about the story is that they came from South Dakota. They were, in, in 2015, they were eggs here at Oswald Fisheries in, in Brew, South Dakota, and that's where they got them to start their muskie broodstock program. So essentially the fish were coming home and they asked, would you be interested? And there's about 100, 115 of them there ended up being. And obviously they're from the 2015 year class and they're, most of them I measured were right around that 34 to 36 inches. So 15 pound average. We had a few fish that were just right underneath 40 inches and real close to 20 pounds. So really nice looking fish. And so we chose to haul them all the way from Salt Lake City to Middle End Lake. And we stocked them just the other day in that lake. Um, and they hauled really great. They looked good. And uh, that's basically, uh, we started Middle End Lake um, in 2015 was the mm -hmm. first stocking that we kind of just started that. And it always takes like 15 to 20 years to develop a muskie population. So it was a long process. But the ability to put in 115 of these adult fish already in there, man, it, it just cut off probably 10 years off of development sure. of that fishery. So. I, I definitely think that somebody could go there this spring targeting muskies in there and probably catch some of these fish. And we had a few other year class. We stocked it three times since 15 right. also. So uh, we're probably, you know, we're going to get that lake right up to where Lynn Lake is very quickly because of that stocking. Right. So really great. Yeah, that's cool stuff. What did I miss? I can't. I always ask this because you guys are the smart ones. Nothing really except for obviously habitat and access. You oh, talked yeah. a lot about it, it the other down. ones. I yeah, really, I have it written down. Duh. Some of the big things in our world, we did the long lake access just last fall, you know, big new boat ramp. We took the fish enclosure off it right here by Watertown. So, man, that's going to be phenomenal. for and, and because of those funds, we are able to do a big project. You know, we spent $200,000 on a big ramp like that. Yeah. So really cool, gave that opportunity. We're able to add fishing piers. You know, we'll probably do a little bit less on the side of habitat in our world because we have such good, good natural habitat with all these great right. flooded lakes. But certainly on the access side of things, that's where we're going to really focus projects. And we've got a ton of plans to do a ton of things, you know, fishing piers, new boat ramps, improved boat ramps, you know, different shore fishing opportunities. So we're going to be busy with trying to, you know, spend some of that money and get things better up here. And it's definitely really cool and, and we're gonna just be busy doing it up here so. yeah it, you know and it's i had it written down and shame on me uh, yeah. about the habitat and access thing and and your wife jackie was like did you bring the drone or are you gonna fly long lake and <laughs> and i've talked to people you know that have have been you know in this area specifically and they fish long lake and man you guys are really trumpeting that what's such a big deal so do you know how expensive these projects are i mean yeah, it, yeah. it you know that's a big big scale project and then yeah. when they go out and look at it and go oh yeah, that's how much did you spend on that? It's right, like, holy yeah. smokes. You yeah, know? it takes a lot. I mean, and people do kind of get to one of those boat ramps like a Wa Bay or a Grenville and just think, oh, yeah, these are, this is nice. This is cool. But man, it, it, it is, it, you know, and diesel fuel and hauling materials around right. is really expensive now. So, yeah, I mean, it, it takes a lot. But it, it's certainly enjoyable to see, I mean, the use of those places once you put them there. Because yeah. if you build it, people will come. We know that. Right. So, so we're going to do, do our best to get as many cool stuff on the ground as we can and even I, I think about you know all these little lakes that i grew up here fishing in the boat ramps you know and how easy it was to take a little 14 foot lund 
and then you go out there now and you see a 20 yeah. foot ranger and uh-huh. you know, man we had to make that ramp a lot bigger didn't we and you kind of look and back oh yeah that's twice the size right yeah yeah the needs and the desires of the anglers are a little higher than what uh, you know like i said a 14 foot aluminum boat that's just not what people fish in anymore so these facilities got to be better than that so then what about um you know i talked with with lucchese some about like community fishing ponds and that's not just that's not just his neck of the woods i mean you have some up here yeah yeah, our, our towns, you know, Watertown, we have a bunch of them. We have five or six ponds that we, we stock with various different species at different times of year, and that's really going great. And in Aberdeen, we have Wiley Pond is a really good one there. Mm-hmm. And we have little ones like in Gary, uh, a little, the Gary Creek oh, yeah. in there, we do right. trout. There at the, There's a Buffalo Ridge Resort, and they have a cool campground and a nice spot to put our fish. So. Yeah, we do. You know, Millbank's got a little Berkner Pond, yep. and we we also stock trout now right behind the visitor center, right in town. You know, for for just for that month of spring fishing, right. really cool spots. So yeah, we're trying to bring the fish, we're trying to bring the fish to the people, and and especially the novice angler, the families, the kids. That you know, everybody we're trying to hook on this. You know, doing this, and and it's been a really good tool, and we're gonna continue to spend a lot of efforts at it right we're, we're catching northern pike right now and we're moving them to all these you know community fishing ponds mm-hmm. we just stocked all of them in this area with trout last week so they're full of trout so go catch them redland here in what water in watertown is really cool they got two ponds right there really? really great you know mowed grass all around it sidewalks you know you can spend the day just taking a walk and do a little trout fishing and really really neat so. Yeah, that the trout thing was unheard of. I mean, I would have, yeah. I would have made my parents drive me down here if I. Yeah, you know, I and people show up for them. You know, we're targeting when the water's cold. That's when these trout are going to live. They're going to die through the summer. It's it's truly right. a put and take fishery. But we do see a big bunch of people come and try it because it's so unique. You don't have anywhere else you can do that around right. here, and it, and it brings the crowds out, which is really cool to see. Yeah, that is cool. Um, I just had something in my head. This might be one of these things we have to edit out. I was gonna when we were talking about community ponds and stuff, but not, I mean, oh, I know what it is. Uh, yeah, Brian Blackwell, one of your guys. Just for anybody who's interested in like fishing and, and the brain of a fish, just did a really amazing. Your crew did a really amazing study, and Blackwell's presentation was great about the catchability of stocking fish and yeah. using those hybrid sunfish and. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, it's not just throwing them in there and hoping they bite. I mean, right. there's a lot of, lot of brain power that goes in behind it. Too. And we got a lot of work to do on what just the right species is. You know, we're interested in, you know, the bobber going down, obviously, that's number one. But also, you know, there, there's a strategy in, like, stocking species that probably are more likely to get released. Because we know these places, they see some of the highest fishing pressure per acre than any other lake in the state. We know that already. So you, if if everyone's taking every fish home, it's not going to work very well. Right. So I mean, we stock you know these species maybe that are like you said, white bass, underutilized. You know, northern pike, uh, catfish. You know, the trout certainly are cool. They can take those home because they're going to die anyways. But we 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 stock strategies of we talk strategy on these fish with you know maybe more likely to get released and somebody else catch you know again we don't have special regulations on them we haven't had to go there yet but we certainly stock them with the idea about you know what's something that's going to sustain itself in this pond and maybe get released and caught a bunch of times so that's certainly our strategy cool stuff Awesome. Thanks for your time, man. It's yeah. It's always good to talk to you. Thanks for having me. And I'm hoping to get out and spawn with you guys because 
The last time I went with the Missouri River guys, all they did was shovel nets for two days, and because yeah. the wind blew, and I don't want to do that. We again. have no shale here, <laughs> right. yeah, and I a lot less species. When you get to one of our nets, usually it's just pike and or, or walleye and perch. Sometimes, right. sometimes it's just purely walleyes, yeah. which is just great. Yeah, nice to see. I've also shoveled out a couple hundred pounds of carp out of a net too, and I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, I'm not young yeah. enough. So. Come see us about the uh, 20th of April. Awesome. That'll be good. Thanks for your time, Mark Ermer, up in the Northeast. Appreciate it. How can time fly just pass by without saying hi to me? How can time fly just pass by without saying bye to me? Yeah. Ooh, good stuff from my buddy Mark Ermer, uh, Northeast South Dakota fisheries boss man. Uh, really cool stuff about those lake sturgeon up on Big Stone Lake. Uh, I haven't caught one, but I've had plenty of people send pictures of them wondering what they are. So if you get a chance, uh, you're up in that neck of the woods on the Minnesota-South Dakota border, um, go check them out. Try to catch one. Uh, you got to throw it back, but uh, you could be one of the first to really say, hey, look at this. Take a picture of it and send it in to us. Good stuff. Uh, turkey season, full underway. Get some weather when the wind isn't howling. Um, get out and enjoy turkey season. You got a little bit of time, but uh, get out and do that now. Morel mushrooms should be popping here pretty soon. Asparagus should be popping. So all those wild food foragers, great time. Also, uh, within this next few days, you got to get your special buck, uh, East River or West River, and new this year, or at least fairly new, uh, special antelope. Um, same process, same idea. Antelope licenses, a little higher price, valid on private ground only. So those are due next week, I think, uh, right after right after Easter, like that Tuesday, I think. But uh, get online, go to our Go Outdoor system, and get online and get those in if you choose. Coming up soon, probably next week as well, our elk elk apps will be open. So keep an eye out for your emails for that. I'll be sending emails out to everybody interested in applying for elk tags. That's a big one. Everybody always wants to know when that is and can't miss that. And uh, So get those elk tags in. Elk numbers look good in the hills this year and out in the prairies too. So ample opportunities. Lots of tags available uh, compared to years past. Um, fishing's good. Shore fishing's been great. Uh, I even caught a few giant white bass this week. So uh, get out this Easter weekend if uh, the weather cooperates, or even if it doesn't, go out and fish for just a little bit, and just if nothing else, just to say you did. Um, thanks for listening. If you got any ideas, you know, share them on our SoundCloud page, or uh, you know, shoot, reach out to us on social media, or heck, give me a ring via the email, chris.hull at state.sd.us. If you got any ideas. Um, Going to be next up, going to be wrapping up with uh, our West River Black Hills fishing folks. I'm not sure if it's going to be Jake Davis, but there's also a new guy there that's kind of taken over. So hopefully be talking to them. And then uh, going to be maybe hitting the road and talking to some conservation officers, getting their take on some stuff and just getting some, trying to compile some cool stories, weird stories, interesting stories from uh, a lot of different conservation officers and their careers. So again, thanks for listening. Thanks to uh, Jared Gardner and 
and um, the boys from Bus 9 way back when from Britain for providing music. And uh, have a great extended weekend. Thanks for listening. Next afternoon, drove back to my car. Lose most of my breath, so dang far. To the key, flipping a horn with my head. Call a friend to jump more than my battery's dead. Grab the